having your Bibles this evening. I hope you turn with me to the book of Second Chronicles, chapter number 20. The book of Second Chronicles, chapter number 20. We've had a good week. It's been a blessing being in the house of the Lord. We've seen God work. We almost got a few Baptists to start shouting last night. What a blessing. If you could just think of where you was and think of where you are right now, it would make a Baptist want to shout. David said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He had put a new song in my heart, even praise unto our God. Many will see it and fear and trust the Lord. Oh, isn't it a blessing to be taken uh, from the miry clay and placed upon the rock? Some of you was on the moonshine, now you're in the sunshine. Some of you was in the mire, now you're in the choir. Oh, what a blessing to be saved by the grace of God. Well, we've had a good time. These last few days, you ladies have outdone yourself. You've made us feel like kings and... Uh, we just want to thank you for your hospitality, and it's been so nice to be in the house of the Lord each night and uh, all the fellowship we've enjoyed. Appreciate the good time we had at McDonald's the other night, even at a place where many folks would not think the Word of God goes out, even at McDonald's the Word goes out. Isn't that a blessing? I'm glad we have a God that's just not served in a church house. I'm thankful for the things of the Lord. Well, we do have a few more prayer cards left on the table. If you haven't received one, we hope you will grab one. Pray for the Aguiar family as we minister and help small struggling churches across America. Trying to get back to some of the old ways. I remember we had a a church that we went to over in the uh, lower part of Georgia, the old Kings Road Baptist Church. And I went over there. The preacher asked me to come over and preach and do a few odds and ends. And I got there. The preacher said, Brother Aguiar, we need some help. What do you think would be the best thing for our church? I said, well, preacher, I haven't even seen any of your people. I haven't even been to your building. I don't know the first thing, but I do know something that will not hurt your church. He said, what's that? I said, go outdoor knocking. I have found it will not hurt a church to go outdoor knocking. It's one of the best things that will help a church. And no matter what type of church it is, it it helps for us to go out and and give the gospel to those that are in need and those that are lost and held out. It'll help you. It'll increase your knowledge. You say, why? First time I went out door knocking, those people asked some of the funniest questions. You know what it did? It made me get into the Word of God and search the Scriptures, whether those things were so. And I told the preacher, I said, I think it would do good if you could go out door knocking. He said, Brother Aguirre, I don't know if it really is worthwhile. Could you imagine an independent Baptist preacher saying that? I've had many preachers say, I don't think it's worthwhile. And I said, well, preacher, to be honest with you, I don't know of anything else that will work. We've tried the gimmicks, and after the gimmicks are gone, the people's gone. I said, why not go back to the old principles? The Bible says house to house, they cease not to preach and teach Jesus Christ. I said, it would be good. And I said, I think it still will work for our 20th century. He said, well, Brother Aguiar, we'll try it because you said so. I said, well, don't do it because I said so, but let's do it anyway. And uh, so we got the church together. The church only ran 30-some people, 35 people. And we got as many of the folks together. We went house to house. Door to door. Now, as I mentioned, we only ask people to come to church for two reasons. We have not given 
any hot dogs, balloons, or pins, or stickers, or anything like that out. Other churches might. I'm not saying uh, anything on that right now. But maybe later tonight I might, but uh, not saying anything on that right now. But we just ask folks to come for two reasons. We tell them you come, you can join in on the congregational singing, and you can listen to the preaching of the Word of God. House to house and door to door. A church that ran 30, 30, 35 folks, that may have been a good Sunday, may have been 35 folks. You ought to have seen the preacher's face when there were 72 people in attendance that Sunday. Oh, well, Brother Aguiar, that's just a coincidence. It's probably the same coincidence as we was over in the uh, South Carolina area where the pastor went ahead and told me, he said, Brother Aguiar, I don't think door knocking will work, but we'll go ahead and try it. They had 40-some folks. We went out for 13 days, gave the gospel, knocked on 1,300 doors, gave the gospel out, saw folks saved, and there, instead of 45, 50 people, they had 90 folks in attendance. Well, one of the things we try to do, we try not to teach the folks that we're not the ones to really do the door knocking. We help you. We instruct you. We show you how. We go ahead and maybe hold classes, do a lot of things like that. But it's the church's job. Could I say it's the sheep's job to bring forth sheep? You ought to have seen that church after we were gone. They got hooked on that soul winning business. They went from 90. We were already gone and got up to 120 folks. Yes, I still believe the old-fashioned ways will still work today. Oh, we've modernized everything. We say, well, it's a new generation. It's a new group of folks. We've got to get a new Bible, a new way, and all that. Hey, the problem is, it's the old heart of mankind. It needs to be made clean by the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we appreciate all that the church has done. We hope that you'll pray for the Aguiar family. Uh, we was looking over a few different things, and... Uh, uh, corresponding a little bit uh, with different ones. And uh, Lord permitting, uh, this year we're going to be changing our schedule just a little bit on some of the meetings we have and uh, raising some support. And so we ask, if you will, pray that God would raise up churches that would like to take a part in helping small struggling churches across America. We ask, if you will, pray with us on that. The book of Second Chronicles chapter number 20 is where I'm drawing your attention. You've been a good group to preach to. And uh, we appreciate your faithfulness and uh, your support. Many of you have given in the love offerings. We thank you for that. And you all have been a blessing to the Aguiar family. Tonight I trust that maybe I can be a blessing to you this evening. And I want to preach tonight on something that took place about six years ago, six and a half years ago or so. In the year of 1996... Right around the first day of the month of April. And tonight I want to preach on this thought, what to do when you don't know what to do. You say, Brother Aguiar, I cannot stand what to do messages. Well, just sit back and enjoy yourself for a few minutes and let us go ahead and enjoy it too tonight. What to do when you don't know what to do. Stand with me, if you will, honor the Lord tonight in our reading. Second Chronicles chapter 20 is where I'm drawing your attention. And you notice with me in verse number 1, the Bible says it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them others besides the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side of Syria. And behold, they be in Hazon Tamar, which is in Gigai. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. 
And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art thou not God in heaven and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Or not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel? And gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever. And they dwelt therein and built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil come upon us as a sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house, and in thy presence for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then wilt thou hear and help. And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do. But our eyes are upon thee. Let's bow in prayer. Father, tonight... Lord, the folks here have been such a blessing, such an encouragement. Lord, we feasted these last few days around the fellowship, around the preaching of the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the reception of the Word of God in the hearts and lives. But, Father, we come to the very last night. Father, I thank as Peter and James and John were on the mount. Lord, it was good that they saw what they saw. It was good that they heard the things that they heard. But, Father, pretty soon we're going to come down off the mount. Lord, pretty soon trials are going to fall across our way. Lord, pretty soon the devil is going to take the fiery darts and he's going to begin to throw. And, Lord, if we're not careful, if our eyes are not fixed upon Thee, Lord, it would be easy to fall by the wayside. So tonight, Father, I pray our hearts could be encouraged tonight to keep on keeping on for the glory of God. I pray you bless the message. Give liberty as we preach in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Very interesting passage of Scripture tonight. I'm preaching on this thought. What to do when you don't know what to do. I could imagine here with Jehoshaphat as one day he was sitting there. The different attendants were standing around, the different parts of uh, soldiers standing near with the swords, with the weapons that may have been available. And here a man came in as a messenger and fell before the king. And I could imagine as he said, O king, live forever. We have just come from the spot with the army and we've done the surveillance that was necessary. And we have now found that the children of Moab are headed this way and at any time they're going to be fighting against us. I don't know the period of time that it may have taken, but somewhere I believe in that same day, perhaps that same hour, another messenger came and said, we've been looking around and the surveillance have showed that not only is Moab coming, but we also have the children of Ammon that's coming against us in battle. It seems like more things began to take place. Another man came up and he says, King, live forever. We have not only found Moab, we have not only found Ammon, but there's that half-tribe of Mount Seir. They're headed this way, and now it seems like at any time we're going to be engaged in a battle. King, what should we do? I began to think for just a moment, 
as Jehoshaphat begins to think of this particular thought, and as these three different types of armies are now coming towards uh, the people of God, towards Jehoshaphat, Jerusalem, the inhabitants of Judea, or, or Judah, here it is as they're coming. Jehoshaphat even mentions in verse number 12, the latter part, he even mentions that he does not know what to do. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a spot you just didn't know what to do? You say, Brother Aguirre, I've never been in that spot. Well, if you hold on for a while in your Christian life, you might hit one. I want you to know there are some things that's going to come in our life. There are some trials. You say, Brother Aguiar, have you ever been in that spot? Yes, I have. I recall tonight a few different thoughts as I think on this message. I recall we finished up a meeting with the Fellowship Baptist Church over in Pineville, Louisiana. At that time, Dewey Wilkerson was the pastor. And while we had that meeting, had a great time, oh, God met with us. It was such a reviving time. It was such a great time. Boy, it was just a time that we was shouting the victory and rejoicing in the blessings and the promises of God. Well, we finished up that meeting. I had to be in Moultrie, Georgia at the Grace Baptist Church within about three days. And so I, we went ahead and determined that it was the Lord's will for us to take off Sunday night after the evening service. So after the fellowship and the belly ship, you might say, was all finished and everything was done, we began to head out about 10 o'clock or so it was. And we began, if anybody knows the state of Louisiana, you know nobody in, in their right mind goes to the state of Louisiana. The only thing good there is our home church. But anyway, the state of Louisiana has the most bumpiest roads in the world. You want to lose your alignment? Go down to Louisiana, Guaranteed. Well, anyway, we jumped on Interstate 49, somewhat a new interstate. We began to head south. If you know Interstate 49 as it heads south, it, it then meets up with Interstate 10. You can take Interstate 10 from Florida all the way to California. I began to think we began to head east on Interstate 10 and begin to head towards the Florida uh, area. We probably have already driven for about three hours or so. Those of you that know Interstate 10, you know it goes straight, dips down to New Orleans, comes back up and continues straight. You can bypass New Orleans by taking Interstate number 12. And so we went ahead and jumped on Interstate 12. I mean, who wants to go to New Orleans? I mean, that's a wicked place. There's a lot of sin involved in that place, and, and we didn't want to go to New Orleans. So we jumped on Interstate 12, bypassed the big cities. And so here it is, we're driving at, on Interstate 12. We're in a 40-foot camper. We are towing our van at that time behind us. We're thinking on the blessings of God, probably doing somewhere between 55 and 60 miles an hour on the interstate, drinking a little bit of sweet iced tea, the best thing in the world to drink, and eating a little Debbie cake. Oh, we was enjoying it. Boy, it was nice. The weather was just fine. It wasn't too hot. wasn't too cold. The kids have already laid down. They're sleeping on, on the beds that was in that camper. Oh, it's so nice, a driving camper. You can do things like that. And here it is, 60 miles an hour. We're driving down the road. And as we come to what's known as the Red River Road overpass, there's no ramp going up there, no ramp coming off. It's just an overpass across the interstate. We did not know it at the time, but there sat a sniper. Somewhere around the time of 1.30 in the morning, our camper got closer and closer. I could think, and there wasn't much traffic on that interstate. I would say there was very few cars that was even considered on that interstate. But here it is. We got closer and closer to the Red River Road uh, underpass. And as we did, that sniper held some type of 9mm weapon on him. 
And as we got closer and closer, that sniper then began to offload that weapon upon our camper. We're not sure of how many bullets were actually fired, but there were two bullets that did hit the camper, one going into the lower part of the camper, not causing much damage. The other one coming through the windshield. At that time, I was wearing eyeglasses. That bullet penetrated through the windshield, penetrated through my right eye lens, went through my right eye, went through my nasal passage, and lodged three inches behind my left eye, stopped in the midst of tissue. As the fluids of my eyes popped, there was no pain whatsoever because of the speed of that bullet. But yet, when the fluids popped in my eyes, everything went gray. I literally thought the camper exploded. First reaction was to grab the wheel and then to go ahead and bring that camper over to a stop. You know, it's amazing. You never know the grace of God until it's needed. And I want you to know that grace will always abound in the time of need. was able to bring that camper over to a stop as if we was pulling over on purpose. No accident whatsoever, but as uh, I brought that camper over, my wife saw things from a different angle. As she sat there in the passenger seat, she saw the bullet hole and uh, in the windshield. Blood begins to spew out of my body, and she screams that I'd been shot. I tell my wife to go grab the gun. You say, Brother Aguiar, you carry a gun. No, I carry quite a few guns. Had a person one time disagree. I said, don't worry about it. It's not your gun. I loaded a legal gun that's legal in every state of the union, a shotgun. As I loaded that shotgun, I figured whoever was going to go ahead or whoever shot us was then going to come and do whatever they pleased. And could I say this? The Bible says if a man provides not for his own house, he's denied the faith and he's worse than an infidel. And I was going to protect my family the best way I could. Minutes passed away, blood gushing out. I began to think for just a moment. I was able to take a towel, put it over all the... My white shirt has literally turned red. But I'm able to take that towel and with that towel hold it over that eye that was shot and I can somewhat see. I go ahead and take the camper... We have a cell phone, but at that time it was in our automobile, and I told my wife, don't get out of the camper for any reason. Got on the CB, asked for help, and folks said, there's help coming. We, we just called in. They gave the wrong description, wrong location, the whole nine yards. Minutes ticked away. It seemed like eternity. Finally got in the driver's seat, gave the gun to my wife, drove nine more miles till we came to an exit where there was a phone. We pulled off there at that phone booth. I made the call. Those police officers are looking all over the place for us. They can't find us. They said, stay where, we're, stay where you're at. We know where you're at. Just stay there. Within about a minute, we're now surrounded by eight squad cards. They don't have the foggiest idea why I was shot. To make the story shorter tonight due to the time, we went ahead and we came to the Oak or Naughty Oaks Hospital. They've went ahead and now I'm laying on the emergency table. They are arguing that there was a rock that hit me. So here the doctor goes ahead and he does an x-ray and they find a piece of metal found in my head. 
They go ahead and do a CAT scan to see the type of damage that may have been done and uh, the possibilities of the tragedy of what's going on as they go ahead and do it. I remember the doctor was there, the nurse was there, my wife and the children. They were in the waiting room there, the emergency room, just waiting, crying, weeping. I remember the doctor telling me, you have four hours to live. Can I ask you something? Have you ever been in a spot you just don't know what to do? It seems like the pressure is coming from one direction. The pressure is coming from another direction. It seems like the enemy's fighting in another direction. And it just seems like you're surrounded by the forces of evil. It seems like every fiery dart has been opened up and it's coming towards you. I can imagine how Jehoshaphat felt when he even cried out, Neither know we what to do. Tonight, very quickly, I want to give you some different thoughts on this subject. What to do when you don't know what to do. You say, Brother Aguiar, what's the very first thing to do? If you notice in our passage of Scripture from verse number five, or 6 all the way to verse number 12, Jehoshaphat knew to cry out to God. I want you to know there's a God up in heaven. He wants you to cry out to Him. When you're in a spot, you don't know what to do. You don't know which way to turn. You're being faced by oppression. You're being faced by the snares of the devil. They're on every hand. Hey, listen, you and I, we need to cry out to God. We need to get a hold of God. We need to make a prayer. We need to cry out. Oh, God, I need some help from you. God, I need you to do something. God, you're the only one I can rely on. He cried out to God. Could I say tonight it was not a very lengthy prayer? But it was a prayer that was directed right from the heart. Could I say tonight, sometimes the prayers that are answered so quickly are the prayers that aren't so lengthy. Now, I'm not giving an excuse for not spending time in prayer. You don't get that from me. But I will say this, sometimes God wants to know what's on your heart. You say, Brother Aguiar, what did he pray? Well, if you notice with me, he prayed and he acknowledged the sovereignty of God. You say, what are you talking about? He says, God, you have a reason and you have a purpose for what has taken place. Lord, I don't know why Ammon's coming. I don't know why Moab's coming. I don't know why Mount Seir's coming. Lord, you wouldn't let us invade them. You wouldn't let us destroy them. And Lord, I don't understand why they're coming after us. But God, you have a reason and you have a purpose for what's going on. I begin to think for just a moment on this thought, laying on the emergency table. My whole white shirt is now blood-soaking. I have four hours to live. I asked the doctor not to mention it to my wife. I'm honest with you, I could not see the purpose and the will of God for that. Can I say this to you tonight? Sometimes... You might not understand the will of God at that particular time. It might be that you might not fully see the reason. You know, the Bible compares us to sheep. You say, why does the Bible compare us to sheep? They're probably the dumbest animal around. I mean, could you just imagine having a sheep business meeting to get rid of the shepherd all in favor, say bad? They're dumb. And yet you see so many churches do it, but I'm not on, I'm not, but sheep. And I was reading about sheep. Do you realize with me, sheep can only see about 10 to 14 foot in front of them? Here it is, the shepherd, he's looking and they're up on the mountain there. They're having a good time basking in the sun. Oh, enjoying it. And here the shepherd looks beyond. He sees a valley, but the sheep cannot see the valley. 
He goes ahead and He takes those sheep through the valley and oh, they're scared. They're, they're afraid. They're, even the shadows uh, uh, that might be in the valley, they're scared of them. But I want you to know, there's a shepherd that knows where you're at. He knows where you're going and He can see the next mountain a little ways off. But you cannot. God has a will. God has a purpose. He acknowledged the sovereignty of God. Could I say this tonight, if we was living at the time of Job, when all the things began to come upon him, you know he had three friends that were like Pharisees. They always knew the will of God for his life, but they were wrong. You'd be amazed at how many folks went ahead and made accusations and said this about me, said that about me, went ahead and said the reason it took place was this. Hey, listen, I would watch where I put my Pharisee nose. Sometimes the only person that knows the will of God for your life is the Lord, and sometimes you. These folks that go around and say, well, this is the reason this person has sick. This is the reason this person is having this problem. This is the reason he had a flat tire. This is the reason he had a blown in. Hey, I would watch out for those folks. He acknowledges the sovereignty of God, but notice with me, he also acknowledges the supplying of God. He mentions it there. He's, more or less, he said, Lord, they're coming after us. Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir. At any time, they're going to be engaged in battle. And Lord, I admit, well, there's no way we can fight against this great company that comes against us. There's no way we can win the battle. And Lord, if we're going to win the battle, you're going to have to supply the need. I begin to think for just a moment. As we was taken to the as I was taken to the Naughty Oaks Hospital in Hammond, Louisiana. Oh, the people were very gracious. They felt very sorry for what took place. They were so kind. They found out I was a traveling evangelist, a traveling preacher. They knew it wasn't because of uh, that I was involved in alcohol. They knew it wasn't because I was involved in any type of drugs. They, they, they knew how uh, they could tell by the way we were dressed that there was something different about us. But you know what? As nice as those folks were, they still wanted to know who was going to pay the bill. I'll say this tonight. We do not have health insurance, not because we don't believe in it, but because of our support right now being as low as it is. You say, Brother Aguiar, you don't have health insurance? No, when you don't have the money, you don't believe in it. Now, if you had the money, it might be a different story. We didn't have health insurance. There my wife is. She's signing away everything there is. The dog, the birds, I mean everything. The people were kind, don't get me wrong, but they want to know who's going to pay the bill. I start to think for just a moment. You know, God is a God that supplies. Think with me for a moment. I'm laying on the emergency table, blood all over me. My wife is there. The children are there. They're, my children are crying. You can see the tears in their eyes. The doctor comes over. He stands right beside of us. And then he goes ahead and reaches in his pocket. And he pulls out his wallet and hands my wife all the money he has in his pocket. You say, Brother Aguiar, that must have been the kindness of that doctor. It could have been. But could I say this? It was the supplying hand of an almighty God. 
I had to be transported by ambulance. And as I was transported by ambulance, I told my wife, it says, just call your mother, ask her to come over here. And when your mom gets here, then come on over to New Orleans. They're about four hours away. And uh, I figured if if she's going to find me dead, it would be easier with her mother there. So they take me by ambulance. Make a long story short, five and a half hours of microscopic surgery. They considered it three days, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday in the hospital. A lot of checkups, a lot of different things. Would you believe not one dime was charged to me? You say, Brother Aguiar, it must have been the kindness of the doctor, the kindness of the hospital. Hey, listen, don't you believe a lick of it? It was the supplying hand of an almighty God. I want you to know the problem you're going through, the difficulty, the trials, the tragedy, whatever it might be. There is a God that will supply your needs tonight. The supplying hand of an almighty God. Jehoshaphat also, in the passage of Scripture, acknowledges the surrender into the will of God. Sometimes God does things just to get our attention. Sometimes God does some different things just to... Say, hey, listen, I want to speak to you. What should you do when you don't know what to do? First, cry out to God. I'll give you the second thing tonight. Not only should we cry out to God, it's good to cry out to God. We need to cry out to God. But something else is needed. We need to then listen to the man of God. You say, what are you talking about? Notice with me, if you will, there in verse number 12, the prayer is ended. Jehoshaphat has now ended that prayer. They've now went, got up from kneeling there. They may have went ahead and put their hats back on. They are now coming up. And I, I could just imagine the whole thing is quiet as quiet could be. It's quieter than a Baptist offering. I mean, it's graveyard dead. There's not a person saying a word. And I could just imagine everybody's looking at Jehoshaphat. They're looking at the elders, the, the leaders of Israel. And then if you notice with me, the Bible mentions there in verse 14, then upon Jehaziel. Could I ask you a question? Have you ever heard of Jehaziel? There's a little bit about him there in verse 14. He's the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mathaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. I'm honest with you tonight. Our verse number 14, I only recognize one name that I could probably put some sense to. You say, what is that? The Spirit of the Lord. Here's a man that we don't know if he published any books. Here's a man we're not sure if he got into any Christian newspapers. Here's a man we don't know what church he has pastored. Here's a man that we're not even sure of any of the credentials. But if you notice with me in verse 15, this man we don't know much about. He says, Harking ye all Judah, ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you. I know what went through that Baptist mind and all the other ones. The elbow routine. Who's that guy? I don't know. Who's that guy? I don't know. Who's that guy? I don't know. <laughs> Finally, somebody knew him. I don't know how many elbows it took. But the elbows go back the other way. It's Jehaziel. It's Jehaziel. It's, Je- it's Jehazi. Who? 
Lord, don't you realize Moab, Ammon, Mousia, they're coming against us anytime we're going to be engaged in battle. And Lord, we have a man by the name of Jehaziel. Lord, we need Elijah to call fire down. We need Moses to open up the Red Sea. Lord, we need somebody else. But could I say this tonight? You need to listen to the man of God. I go to these churches every now and then. and Can I say this? And I say it respectfully. I believe every preacher ought to be trained. Don't get me wrong. Could I say when God set up a preacher and put him in the church, you need to give heed to the man of God? Regardless of how many degrees or no degrees, you need to give heed to the one that God has set up in that local New Testament church. Could I say this tonight? I had a church member in our church come to me. He came complaining. He said, Brother Aguiar, all you do is preach salvation. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I wish I could grow some in the church, but all you do is preach salvation. So I asked him a question. I says, well, in Sunday school, I preached about this, about a Well, I wasn't there. I said, well, Sunday night, last Sunday night, I preached on this. Well, I wasn't there. I said, midweek service, when we meet together and we even have prayer, I preached on this about a... Well, I wasn't there. I said, let me ask you, when are you there? He said, well, I'm there almost every Sunday morning. I says, my, don't you realize, well, we have a lot of visitors that come in and my desire is that the lost might be saved and God lays it on my heart so much to preach on salvation that the lost might be saved. I said, what you really need to do, you need to get faithful to the house of God. Could I say this tonight? We can get rid of a lot of the counseling that goes on if people would become faithful to the house of God. Do you realize with me tonight, God goes ahead and takes the man of God. He lays it on the man of God's heart, different things. That man of God, he doesn't realize why I'm preaching this. He doesn't realize why, Lord, did you lay this on my heart? But he gets up with what God has laid on his heart. And I want you to know God has the menu that you need for your life. And if you miss church, you miss what God intended for your life. I believe it's time that we listen to the man of God. I'm sure many folks in that congregation, as Jehaziel begins to just give a little bit of what God said, he said, Be not afraid, nor dismayed by the reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, it's God. He goes ahead and says in verse 17, You need not to fight in this battle. Set yourself, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And I can imagine the folks, they said, Well, I want another opinion. How many times have you heard the preacher of the Word of God begin to preach, and as he preached the message, well, let me see what my pastor back home says. Let me check with Grandma and make sure that what the preacher's saying is right. Let me get a second opinion. I mean, because that that involves my television, and I just don't want to give that up. I'm going to have to check with somebody else. I mean, if I do that, I won't be able to go out to the swimming pool and mix around with those different folks and maybe touch a little bit of their body. And I just don't like that. I mean, let me check somebody else out on this matter. And you're trying to get another opinion when God gave you the Word of God. I believe it's time that we listen 
to the man of God. Do you realize with me the trials that comes in your life, God might be bringing it in that you might go ahead and take heed to the man of God? Could I say every member we had in our church, I did my best to try to help them as I pastored. I looked for what God would have me to preach. And there were many times folks got upset over what I preached. I remember different ones that would walk out on me because of what I preached. How I went ahead and opposed that tongue movement. I said it was of the devil and no Christian should ever be involved in it. They got upset and left. How the other groups went ahead and, and boy, they began to try to get a Calvinistic doctrine to come in our church. And oh, when God, when God laid that on my heart, I preached one, one night on the whosoever and how God invites whosoever. It doesn't matter if you're an elect or non-elect. God gave an invitation and He'll save the elect as well as the non-elect if they'll come to Christ. Just to be honest, and I'm honest with you, Gentiles are non-elect. We're not part of God's chosen people. But I want you to know that He reached down low enough to save the old Gentiles and whosoever will that would come and take of Him. I watch people leave. But I will say this, I never preached a message to get them to leave. I preached it to help them in the battle they're getting ready to go through. What are you going to do when you don't know what to do? You need to cry out to God. You need to listen to the man of God. I'll say this. During all those times, when I was told I had four hours to live, the hour drive over to New Orleans by ambulance, the time in the trauma room that I had by myself, my mind began to think back on the preaching of the Word of God. I thought back on the days when the man of God got up to preach, and oh, he went ahead and skinned it, he skinned it hard and then threw some salt on after he got finished skinning it. He made it seem so horrible how hot sin was. I remember giving my life to Christ. I remember throwing away the junk. I remember getting dressed right. I remember going ahead and cleaning up and doing some things that I ought to do. But my mind went back to the preaching of the Word of God. And oh, how it changed my life. Sometimes we need to just go ahead and listen to the man of God. But I'll say this tonight. We've cried to God. We've listened to the man of God. But you know what? Ammon's still coming. Moab is still on its way. Mount Sierra is going to be on us at any time. At any time we're going to be engaged in the battle. Brother Aguiar, what do we need to do? We don't know what to do. First, cry out to God. Second, listen to the man of God. And then I give you the last thing. Then begin to praise the Lord. If you notice in our text of Second Chronicles chapter number 20, after Jehaziel finishes his little uh, sermon of three verses, in verse 18, Jehoshaphat bows his head and his face to the ground and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord worshiped him. If you notice here, Jehoshaphat bows his head and accepts the will of God. Verse 20, they rose up early in the morning went out, uh, went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear ye, O Judah, ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe its prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he had pointed singers unto the Lord. Imagine with me, Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir is coming. And here they got up early in the morning. Jehoshaphat goes up to the microphone, hits it a little bit, making sure it's working. And he says, all right, uh, we need all the bass singers up here. The what? The bass singers. 
after he got some of those men up there, he said, we need the baritones. We need the tenor. That's those men that sing like ladies. We need them up here. We need the altos. We need the sopranos. We need a few other others. And pretty soon they had a pretty nice looking choir. I could imagine there in verse number 21, he consulted with the people. He appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness. I could imagine he told the song director, he said, we got a lot of songs in our hymn book. Oh, they're great songs. They talk about heaven. They talk about this life. They talk about all these things. He says, but we're not going to talk about heaven. We're not going to sing about heaven at this time. There's a time for that. We're not going to sing about this trials that we're going through. He says, all I want you to do is praise the beauty of holiness. All I want you to do is bring praise to the Lord. So they went ahead and picked up that song book and the choir director went ahead and got them on the right number. And here it is. The song went, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. Hey, listen, it's time now that you begin to praise the Lord. I believe there's many folks, they got a hernia on their lungs and they can't praise the Lord. I believe it's time that God's people begin to go ahead and shout the victory and sing and begin to praise the Lord Himself. Well, I begin to think for just a moment. I was in the New Orleans hospital. As I was there in that hospital, really it was in the ambulance, going from Hammond, Louisiana to New Orleans, this thought came to my mind. Why should a person that's been saved by grace, kept by grace, living by grace, preaching by grace, die in disgrace? I said, I'm not going to do it. We got over there to that hospital in New Orleans. I went ahead and I told the nurse, I said, Nurse, do you got a telephone around? I said, Nurse, I want to use the pay phone. She says, Mr. Aguiar, you can't use. I said, yes, I can't. She says, no, you can't. I said, I want to speak to whoever's over you. So the head nurse, he comes bouncing in, and, and I told him, I said, Mr. Head Nurse, I want to use a telephone. He says, Mr. Aguiar, no, I'm sorry, you can't. I says, you cannot deny the right for me to use a telephone. Do you realize if I live through this, you'll be sued for stopping me from using a pay phone? Oh, Mr. Aguiar, you don't have any money. I said, what do you need money when you got a credit card? He found that he couldn't get me to change. And so he said, well, Mr. Aguiar, at any time it's going to hit you what's taking place. I said, Mr. Nurse, I don't know where you got your training, but it's already hit me. That's why I'm here. They handed me a cordless telephone. Well, I had all the numbers memorized as well as my credit card number memorized. And I went ahead and I punched it in. I remember talking to my pastor. I told my pastor how good God's been to me. I remember talking with mom and dad over in Germany at that time. I remember telling dad and mom how good God's been to me. I remember the time when I went ahead there in that hospital, punched in 305-296-3648 and called my brother down in Key West, Florida, pastor in a faith Baptist church at that time. I told Jim, I said, Jim, I just want you to know how good God's been to me. Could I say, if I went ahead and died, I could still say, God has been so good to me. I came to the spot, I said, I'm going to praise Him all the way out. I'll praise Him all the way to glory. 
It doesn't matter if I'm on the operating table. I want people to know, hey, God's been good to me. And I just begin to praise the Lord. Well, my wife, she made two calls. One was to my grandmother. The other was to my mother-in-law, her mom. You know the Gossipers theme song, I Love to Tell the Story? It began to take place. Folks all around the world began to start praying. Within four hours, there was eight countries and 28 different states that I found out about that was praying for me. You know what I found? God says, call unto me, and I will answer thee. And show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be over. Oh, folks begin to go ahead and get on the phone. And they begin to ask. They begin to call unto God. And I want you to know, there at four hours, if somebody told you, you have four hours to live, the first thing you're going to do is look at your watch. Well, you know what? It was getting closer to that four-hour mark. The doctor came in. He said, oh, Mr. Aguiar, we've ran tests on you. He says, we've determined you're going to live, but you're going to be blind the rest of your life. You know what? Those eight different countries, those 28 different states, they didn't know about that. They just kept on praying. Oh, they just kept on calling unto God. They just began to go ahead. God, we got a brother over there in New Orleans. He needs some help. God, we don't know what's going on, but God, we want you to do something miraculous. We want you to heal. We want you to do something great. And you know what? About an hour passed. They came back in. They said, Mr. Aguiar, we've ran some more tests. You know, the devil during that hour, he was saying, yeah, how are you going to do your ministry now? The doctor came back in. He says, you know, we've ran some tests and we determined you're going to live. You're not going to be totally blind, but just blind in one eye. You know what those eight different countries, those 28 different states, they didn't know about that. They just kept on praying. God, there's somebody over there in New Orleans. We know our brother. And Lord, we're asking you to work something out. We're asking you to do a miracle. Finally, they said through an operation, we can go ahead and maybe fix it up to where you can see. And I'm just saying tonight, hey, listen, we need to begin to praise the Lord. You say, Brother Aguiar, you just don't know what I'm going through. It seems like I'm up against a, a great wall. It just seems like I just can't get through. I can't go around it. It just seems like it's an impossibility. Hey, you sound like Moses and the children of Israel. They came across that Red Sea. There was no way to go around. There was even a greater danger there behind them. Oh, and folks begin to say, what are we going to do? Oh, there's no hope for it. I don't know how it took place, but there it is. Miriam, she got a tambourine. I don't know how that thing was ever used for the glory of God, but she somehow got a tambourine after that wa- uh, river after that sea was opened up, they walked across on dry land. And you read the Scriptures how they praised the Lord. Well, Brother Ackyard, you just don't understand. The walls are too high. There's no way. We, we, we've been around it, I don't know how many times, this particular issue, and, and we just got to get victory. There's just no way we can get in. It just seems like an impossibility. You sound like Joshua and the children of Israel. They marched around it day after day. Seven today, they went ahead and marched around seven times. But do you know, there in the Scriptures, the Bible says when they lifted up their voice and blew the ram's horn, God began to work miracles and the walls came down. 
Oh, Brother Aguiar, I'm all chained up. It seems like the devil has me bound. It seems like there's no way to get out of it. Oh, you sound like Paul and Silas there in the jail at Philippi. Boy, they've just been whipped for preaching the Word of God. There's been stripes laid on his back. And there at about midnight, Paul's looking at Silas. Silas looking at Paul. And Silas says, Paul, what do you think we ought to do? And I didn't think, Brother Paul, he said, Oh, Silas, you know what he's song? Let's sing victory in Jesus. Let's sing praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. And at midnight, they begin to pray. And God begins to shake that jail and loose the bands that was holding them down. And I'll say this, God can loose the bands that's holding you down also if you'll begin to praise the Lord. I believe tonight the church has been too silent here in America. I believe it's time that folks know, hey listen, i got something to shout about tonight. You say, Brother Aguirre, I don't have much to shout about. Hey, listen, you might be like those disciples. They were rejoicing that God went ahead and gave them the power. They were casting out devils. And Jesus says, notwithstanding in this rejoice that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Hey, listen, I want you to know i got a home for all eternity. I have something to shout about tonight. I begin to think as they begin to praise the Lord. There in verse number 22. You know, the Lord did something. He set up ambushes. I kept you so long, but He set up some ambushes. You know, when that took place, they began to praise God. God took Ammon and said, Hey, Moab probably will go against you. Ammon went after Moab. And about that time, He told Mount Seir, You know, Ammon probably go against you. So Mount Seir jumped in on Ammon, and there, there's a fight. There's those ambush. Boy, everybody begins to kill each other. They begin to knock each other out. You know, it's amazing. The man of God said, "Ye need not to fight." You think he knew what he was talking about? I could imagine as they went ahead and went to the watchtower there in verse number 24. They looked in the multitude, and behold, there were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. Could you just imagine with me what a blessing it was that they cried to God, they listened to the man of God, and they began to praise the Lord. But you know what I find? The story doesn't stop there. I start to think for just a moment, I admit, that there was some rough times after that surgery. There was a lot of different things. I don't know if you know it, but eye surgery is a very major surgery. And when you come out, it's one of the hardest ways of coming out because of the thought any type of light automatically drains the strength from your body. I begin to think how tired, how worn, how feeble I was. I remember as they did that surgery and they put that patch over my eye and I came home. I lost all my depth perception at that time. I remember walking out of the hospital. My dad came back from Germany to be there with me. My brother and sister-in-law and their children was there. My wife and, and it was there and the kids and, and my mother-in-law. And, and there was two other, uh, there was a nephew and a niece that was there. And oh, and it was even hard to walk. I couldn't even tell if there was a step. My debt perception was gone. For three months... I couldn't even preach. In fact, the first month, I couldn't even stay awake but four hours a day. person asked me, they said, Brother Aguiar, what if things would have went worse? I said, what do you mean? They said, what if you would have died? I said, that would not have been worse. <laughs> I remember 
when I went back to my home church, my father-in-law, he came down to take us over to Leesville, Louisiana. I wanted to be around my home church during this time of recuperation. I cannot sleep when other people drive. It's just, I don't know what it is, but it's just in me. I cannot sleep. It took five hours to get over to our home church. My body was literally exhausted. It was about 5 o'clock when we got in that evening. Church started at 7.30. My wife says, do you feel up to going to church? I said, I wouldn't miss it for the world. I said, I'm going to lay down and make sure I get up in enough time to just get cleaned up and dressed up where I can go in. She woke me up. We only, we're only two and a half minutes from our home church. I got cleaned up and she drove me on over to the church. I remember as I opened up the door, there was a banner hanging up that says, Welcome home, Brother Dick. I remember as I walked in, the patch was on my eye. I could barely see. My walking capabilities wasn't even up where it should be. I remember Brother Barry Quinn, a good friend of mine today in Korea, has a Baptist church over there. He said, Brother Aguiar, it's good to see you again. Sorry about what's taking place, but it sure is good to see you. I remember other ones coming and we're hugging each other. Oh, what a reunion. Brother Aguiar, what if it would have been where you died? I believe I would have got up to the portals of glory. I believe there still would have been a banner saying, Welcome home, Dale. I believe there still would have been different ones that would have walked up and hugged my neck and said, It's been a long time since we saw you. Welcome home. I begin to think it's good to praise the Lord. The last thought in this thought of praising the Lord is found there in verse 25. The Bible says when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. They were three days in the gathering of the spoil. It was so much. Do you realize with me here, God won the victory and Jehoshaphat and his men come and they begin to take the garments, they begin to take the jewels, they begin to take all the blessings, they begin to get this blessing and that blessing and it was three days in gathering the blessings. It was so much. Just imagine with me. Because they cried to God, they listened to the man of God and then they praised the Lord. I have to admit for three months I was out of commission of preaching. After three months, I had about 60% of my strength built up. I was able to go ahead and get back on the road. We could only drive during the daytime. One eye was not even in, in proper function and order. I, I couldn't even see at all. They gave me glasses just as thick as thick could be, and I still couldn't see. They said, we've got to give it some time, and then we could do something else. So with more or less one eye, we began to get back. I got back on the road, 60% of my strength. The very first meeting that I had took me up over into Wisconsin. My body was so drained from that operation, from the, all the different things that took place. I'm honest with you, I slept almost the entire day and got up just enough to preach the message of the Word of God at night. I would get up to the pulpit, and I couldn't be as energetic as I was then. But I preach the same message in many churches across America. They saw the eye, how it was damaged. 
Could I say that God went ahead and worked a miracle, and that year I saw more folks saved than my entire ministry? The blessings were so much. We would go to another church, and here it is, seven church members get saved in one service. We went to another church, and there's five church members that got saved in another service. We went to another church. Oh, the one in Wisconsin, there was two people. They'd both been to Bible college. They did everything their dad, their dads were preachers. They did everything their dad wanted them to do. But they were lost and held bound, and God worked a miracle. He saved their souls. Oh, what a blessing. The blessing were so much. Could I say this tonight? The trials, the trauma, the trouble, the tragedy that you're going through, if you'll cry out to God, if you'll listen to the man of God, if you'll begin to praise the Lord. I heard a song one time that says that God will make this trial a blessing. Paul mentioned, I mentioned it to one of the brethren coming out of the prayer room. Paul mentioned that I may know him. Could I say tonight, you will not know the anchor of your soul unless the storm gets rough. You will not know the lily of the valley until you go down into the valley. You will not know the rock that is stronger and that fortress, that tower that we can run into and hide until the trials begin to come. I'm saying tonight, cry out to God, listen to the man of God, and then begin to... Praise the Lord. What will you do when you don't?